Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am so excited to bring you guys the debate here today. I'm Erica. I go by the Gibbon on YouTube. And uh, we've got two just lovely individuals here uh, to, to have a very interesting conversation. Um, I, I figured we'll do what we usually do and let everyone introduce themselves. Uh, the format today is pretty chill. We're doing 12 to 15 minute loose openers just to make sure everyone's got time to uh, um, kind of underline their position. And then we're going to go into 50 minutes to an hour of open discussion followed by Q&A. So go ahead and what do you think, Prey? Should we tag me or you for a rather modern day debate with the questions in the chat? Okay, tag me. Uh, I've got Sick Gibbon in the chat uh, with your questions for the debaters because I know they're going to be absolutely thrilled uh, to answer them at the end. My moderation job is going to be very easy. I they, Both of these individuals are great. And with that, I'm going to go we'll go ahead and jump into letting them introduce themselves and then hop into our opener. So do either of you have a preference on going first for introducing yourselves to the audience? All right, Granny, it's you then. You're going first. <laughs> okay. I am Godless Granny, and uh, I was a believer for 42 years, and then I left the faith and became an atheist. I started my own YouTube channel very shortly after that. Uh, I started it in December, and I just went over 1,000 subscribers today. And... Um, so, and I address all kinds of different issues, mostly issues that affect me. So I talk about women's issues. I'm a trans parent. So I address transgender issues. I'm an ace. Um, I did one panel just that was a panel of aces for uh, Pride Month. And um, I've also done a lot on politics as well. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And that quick reminder, you can find the links to these guys in the description so that you can check out both of their channels. If you, what is it James says? If you're like, hmm, I like that. I want to see more of that. You can check them out in the description. Um, okay, Josh, go ahead. Hi guys. My name is Joshua. I live in Saigon and I'm a political sciences and debate teacher out here. Uh, if you look at my YouTube channel, it's not very much. It's brand new and it's really actually me exploring the flat earth theory. It's very open-ended. A uh, debate student brought it to me a while ago and I've been just documenting my research into that. Um, I plan to do more politically later on, but uh, this really is one of my first steps into the YouTubing world. So I'm really delighted to be here with Granny, with Erica and with Braze. And I think we're gonna have a wonderful conversation. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, I, lo I love these kinds of moderation jobs because it's just, I get, I just get to sit back and listen because I know you guys are going to be excellent with one another. Um, did either of you decide beforehand who was going to go first or should we just? I'm okay. going to open uh, from our talk. Awesome. Awesome. So then we'll just go ahead and jump right into that. And, you know, whenever you start with your first sentence, I know you have a presentation. I'll just go ahead and hit go at around 12 minutes. I'll let you know um, just so you can kind of have an idea of where you're at. All right. Let me start my screen share then. Awesome. That gives me a chance to pull up my timer. I'm cool. also going to mute myself in the background because I've got dogs in the room, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> depends on how you look at it. <laughs> All right, guys, today we're going to be talking about what equality is in Christianity or the Christian faith. And I want to start off with my definitions right away so that we don't fall into Sitch's law and just sit here and arguing about what definitions are. I'm going to start with Christian faith because I think that's someone something much harder to define. I'm not a champion of the church, and I'm certainly not a champion of most organized religions and what they teach from. So I want to talk about what Christianity and what the Christian faith really is and what it means to those who do follow the word. And so blanketly, it means to accept just Jesus or Yehoshua as, as the Christ or the Messiah. Christ is a Greek word that means anointed and Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed. And I don't find them particularly understandable or enlightening. And um, I'd like to move on from that and go more into the philosophical background of what Christ is to Christians. So we accept Jesus as the living word of God. And that word of God comes from a Greek term that we're going to talk about in a moment. So much so that if you just look up word in a very old dictionary right here, I've got Webster's 1828 dictionary, which is the first dictionary ever published in America. And you see the 13th entry literally just is Christ. The word word means Christ. And what we've been taught from the Christian pulpit is that the Bible, that these 66 books bound in leather is the living word of God. And that's a, a bit of a, a misspeak on the church's part, and it causes a lot of confusion in young Christians. And so one thing I want to outline is what is the Bible and is it the word of God? So if we look at the Old Testament, we have a large portion of the Bible. These, these bars are accurate to how much the Bible is, which is Jewish historical text. In that Jewish historical text, you see a lot of law. You see some history. You see some songs. You see some poems. You see words of wisdom. And probably the most important, especially to those of Jewish origin, would be the prophetic, uh, the prophetic parts. Then we have the Gospels. Gospel literally means the good news. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Word. We have four books that are the good news about the Word. We've got a little bit of Christian history and then some personal letters then some public letters and then a revelation from John. And 
when we talk about what the word is, what we mean here is we mean it's objective truth. I've got to go into the Bible a little bit to explain Christianity. We've got four gospels about it, and I'm going to go into John specifically. And the reason I'm choosing John is because I teach political sciences, debate, and philosophy. So I have a very strong grounding in Greek philosophy as it's the centerpiece of the school that I work at. And John wrote in beautiful Attic Greek with an understanding of Greek philosophy. So John writes in the very beginning, which I'm sure you know already, Granny, as, as you say, you were a Christian for quite some time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When you read this in English, pretty much no matter what translation you read in, it makes very little to no sense. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. How can a Word be God? But what John was meaning when he wrote this is he was reading, meaning this Greek ideal created by Plato called Logos, which you can see here on the Greek side I have highlighted, and it's uh, G3056 if you want to look it up in a, uh, a biblical lexicon. And what does this logos mean? We see it in every single major religion, and we see it in every single major culture. So I wanted to take a look and look at the Chinese here. I had my little sister draw this up for me because she, she writes Chinese. I just speak Vietnamese. Um, and you can see over here in the Chinese, it's called Tao. In the Vietnamese, it's Dao. And they're calling it the path or the way instead of the word. We call it the word of God. They would call it the way of God in their own translations. And you see here that there's this head, this leader, which is that what that first root symbol in the Chinese means. And then there's a path under it. And then there's the verb action to walk. One thing I also thought was really interesting is my introduction or my thesis statement, which is what I'm giving to you guys right now. If you look at those words in Chinese, we see that that logos that we're talking about, but then we've got an indicator that it's very small and it's tiny because it's subjective. It's to me, it's my thesis, not the universe's thesis. And then we have logic and reason and the analects of Confucius and the words and speaking and basically everything I'm doing now, I'm bringing you my logic, my reason, my foundation. But to Plato, this was logos. And I guess to Americans, the best translation we really have for it is objective truth. It's truth that exists outside of humanity and a truth that exists outside of this universe. Or sorry, outside of our existence or before the universe is what I meant to say. Now, pretty much every religion in the world believes in this objective truth and believes that there is an objective truth. The main difference between Christianity and Hinduism or Buddhism or pretty much anything but Islam is the fact that we believe a man came down as this objective truth and we worship him, whereas Hindu will tell you that the objective truth is inside of you, and if you search deep enough within you, you can find it. Christian believes that it's always external. So I really get upset when Christians go around saying that this book is objective truth because it's not. It's a book. It's a book that was put together by the Council of Nicaea, and it's now 66 books conveniently made in 325 A.D. And the entire Old Testament was literally compiled by pharisaical rabbis, you know, the ones that Jesus kept saying, stop, 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 stop. That was completely compiled by pharisaical rabbis in 100 AD, and it leaves out wonderful books like the Testament of the Patriarchs or Jubilees or um, um, arguably the Book of Enoch. 
And so as I'm defining Christianity right now or the Christian faith, it is to accept Jesus Christ as the objective truth or as logos. And now equality doesn't mean identical. I think even in our own observation of reality and of subjective truth, we can say that men and women are not identical. Men are better at some things. Women are far better at some things. So what I mean here in this context when I'm looking at everything is are men and women of equal objective value? Are they worth the same? Are they as valuable from one another, from the logos that is Jesus Christ, from the objective truth given to us in Christianity? Do we find that men and women have the same value. I'm pretty much just going to look at the New Testament because I don't have too long and I'm trying to be quick. Here is how the New Testament is broken up. In the beginning, we have good news, the four gospels of objective truth becoming flesh. Then we have a Christian history, the Acts of the Apostles. And these are stories about the very first people who found the objective truth. Then we have private letters written to specific churches like Romans or Corinthians, right? These have subjective truths for those churches. One of the most ridiculous subjective truths, which I'm sure is going to come up in this conversation, is Paul wrote to the church of Corinth that the women should not speak because it's against the law. It's not against the law or even against the culture in 2020. So to try to take that little bit of subjective truth and tell your congregation in 2020 that women can't speak is the most absurd thing in the world. Paul was essentially saying you need to choose which hill you're going to die on. And we shouldn't have our church completely destroyed for violating the rule of women speaking openly in academic public areas. In the public letters, we have open letters that are written to the Christian faith. So this is like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is James. This is Peter. This is Timothy. And we find some subjective truths and some objective truths in them. And then we have a revelation revealed to John in a vision that I have no idea what that means. I'm still dissecting that one. So the very first, I want to look at the Jewish historic tradition, and then I want to move on from that pretty quickly. But we look at the very beginning of how the Bible opens, and it says that God created man. This is not the word uh, he uses in the second time. This is a, a word, I can't remember the Hebrew word, but it means all humankind. So a better translation would be God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I remember this first word, man, is Adam, which means humankind. That's why we call him Adam. Uh, not the best translation, but it's what we got. And then male and female is more specifically talking about the biological genders. And so really one thing I do want to enunciate is that male and female are created in God's image. It's not that we're made in God's image and then we're bored. And then so God gave us females. In fact, as God created everything and he looked down on his creation and he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he got to man. He's like, well, that's not right yet. And so he gave us woman. In Jesus' own life, as he is Logos personified, I'm not going to go into the scriptures. I'm just going to bring up the stories. Mary and Martha has to be my favorite one when you talk about the value of women. And the reason is, is Mary and Martha are two sisters. Jesus comes to their house with his disciples, and Martha's in the kitchen doing all the womanly duties, right? But Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to everything that he, he's uh, saying. Eventually, Mary comes out and takes a super expensive bottle of perfume that's worth about three months salary and pours it on Jesus's feet. And the men rebuke her saying, what are you doing, woman? We could have sold this. We could have we could have given the money to the poor. We could have bought lodgings for the next week. You're crazy. And Jesus stops them. He's like, you have no idea 
the value that she has. And you have no idea the offering that she's just given to me. I wish you were more like her, actually. And then Martha comes out of the kitchen, goes to Jesus and says, Master, Rabbi, rebuke her. She's not performing her womanly role. She's not helping me in the kitchen. She's not overseeing the things that should be done. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, you don't understand what's important. What you've been told are womanly duties being in the kitchen preparing. This is not as important as what's going on right now in this room. You're blessed for what you're giving. But Mary understands more than you do. The other two are rather quick. Jesus' reverence for his own mother we see time and time again through Scripture. But I love the scene where he's literally carrying his cross, bleeding and about to die. And he looks at his mother and he goes to the apostle, sorry, the disciple whom he loved, which I assume is John, like most scholars, and says, mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother. That's pretty much the only thing Jesus says on that march. And it's telling his disciple, you care for this woman, you protect this woman, you keep this woman as I'm leaving. And then finally, the resurrection. The resurrection is probably the most important thing because when Jesus reappears, he doesn't go to the men. He appears to Mary and Martha again. And he tells them to go spread the good news that he's been risen before the apostles see him. He gives the task to women. If women were not trusted, if women were not of equal value, how in the world would Jesus choose two or in, uh, I believe, Mark three women to to appear to and give this important message to. We all know the scriptures that are in the Bible over and over and over. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. About so, 12 minutes. Thank you. Um, so this is really important. Husband loves your wives proceed. So in order for your wife to submit to you, you need to begin with husbands. Be patient and kind to your wives. Husbands, don't envy or boast your wives. Don't be arrogant with your wives or rude. Do not insist on your own way with your wives. Do not be irritable or resentful with your wives. Do not rejoice at wrongdoing of your wives, but rejoice in the truth. Husbands, bear all things. Believe all things from your wives. Hope all things for your wives. Endure all things for your wives. Husband, let your love for your wife never end. Prophecies will pass away. Languages will stop. Knowledge will be forgotten. But the love for your wife should endure forever. And then I want to end this with the most important scripture from Peter that literally tells us how important women are and that they are equal heirs with us. They are child, children of God, just like we are. Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel physically, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So in summary, I would like to say that men and women certainly are not identical. But when we consider the Christian faith starts with our actions on this world, our subjectives, and our current life of this world is not the most important thing. We are living for the new Jerusalem, not this one. And because of that, when we are equal and joint heirs, when we both share in that same promise, that same childrenhood of God, what our physical body is really doesn't matter. And with that, thank you all for listening. And I'd like to turn it over so I can hear what Granny has to say. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. All right, Granny.
I've got that was about about 13 and a half minutes. So I will I'll again I'll let you know at about 12 just to so you can keep time, you know, and and uh, kind of gauge yourself where you're at. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and start on your first word. Okay. Okay, first of all, Joshua, I accept all of your definitions, except possibly for one. I'm not sure if you considered this a definition, but you said that Jesus is objective truth. If you consider that a definition, I do not accept that as a definition. I most definitely accept your statement at the end that our actions are the most important. And it is our actions that lead us to my statement that men and women are not equal in the Christian church. In many churches, you hear that men and women are equal, that they just have different roles. I would argue that just having different roles within the church makes them inherently unequal. Thus, in this debate, I argue the negative, posi the negative position, that despite the fact that women are not inferior beings, they are treated as such. Despite claims within the church, the Christian churches that men and women are equal but just have different roles, just having these different roles makes them inherently unequal. I will not discuss the evidence for women not being inferior beings, as my opponent does not dispute this. In 1954, in Brown v. the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, Thurgood Marshall argued to the Supreme Court that U.S. schools should not be segregated on the basis of race. The court unanimously decided that the established rule from Plessy v. Ferguson that separate but equal facilities for the races was acceptable was found to be inherently untrue and the distinction made the school systems inherently unequal. As the Supreme Court saw in 1954, it should be seen today that separate but equal is just as unjust to women in the church as it was to colored children in schools. The idea that women are equal, they just have different roles, is a restatement of the separate but equal rationale. In rejecting that rationale, the court said to separate children from others of similar age and qualifications solely because of race generates a feeling of inferiority as to their status in the community, and that may affect their hearts and minds in a way unlikely ever to be undone. The same holds for women in the Christian faith. The position of pastor is considered the position of greatest honor in the church, yet the pastorate is, is denied to women in the Catholic Church, the Southern and American Baptist churches, the Anglican, the Evangelical Mennonite, the Mennonite Brethren, the United Episcopal, Evangelical Free, most Lutheran churches, and many more. According to Pew Research, while many religious denominations in the United States now allow women to pastor churches and synagogues, only 11% of American congregations were led by women. Denying women the pastorate or priesthood and other leadership positions in the church has the effect, whether intended or not, of putting women in an inferior status within the religious community, regardless of statements of equality to the contrary. Just as statements that colored children were receiving an equal education in their segregated schools was in the 1950s was untrue, that women denied the same roles as men in the church being equally valued in the Christian community is just as untrue today. Historically, the church has not been a place of equality for women. The Bible is replete with examples of women being considered inferior to men. It begins in Genesis 3.16 when God tells Eve as part of the curse that in the future man will rule over his wife. Some translations say he will dominate her. In Judges 19.22-26 when the men of the city ask Lot's guests to have sex with them, when men asked Lot's guests for sex with them, he protected his male guests 
but gave them his daughter and his concubine instead, telling them, I will bring them out to you now and you can use them and do whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. The women were not valued as the men. In Deuteronomy 22, 28 to 29, it prescribes that if a man rapes a virgin, he must pay her father 50 shekels of silver and take her as wife. The woman has no choice in the matter. She is forced to marry her rapist. GotQuestions.org responds to this statement by saying, but the woman's father is an ultimate authority over her as her head until he hands this authority over to her husband. If the man is unsuitable, the father can refuse to give his daughter to him. How many fathers would give their daughter to a rapist? So in general, a rapist would actually have to pay a 50 silver shekel fine and not get a wife at all. In re this response fails at several points. First, men in the Old Testament were permitted multiple wives, David, Jacob, Abraham, and Solomon, just to name a few. The man is out some, still, some silver, but he can still get another wife. Second, the money goes to the woman's father, not to the woman. The apologist making this argument admits that the woman belongs to her father and then to her husband. She is not considered a person of her own right at any point. How can a person who has no right to restitution paid for her injury possibly be considered equal to the man who has claim to that restitution? The injury to the woman is not even recognized. Only the injury to the man's ability to sell his daughter as a wife. The Tenth Commandment says you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. Exodus 20:17. The wife is listed with the neighbor's property as things that belong to your neighbor. Women are property. Women cannot be possibly considered of equal value when they are deprived of person status and, denig and denigrated to the status of property along with the ox and the ass. Further evidence that women were considered property is Exodus 12.2, which says when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free for nothing. However, Exodus 21.7 says when a man sells a daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. Christians argue that this was the Old Testament, and when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law of the Old Testament, and the New Testament is now the law of grace. Thus, the dietary restrictions and the laws of the Sabbath were done away with in favor of laws of grace. Only those Old Testament laws that are reaffirmed in the New are still in operation. Under the New Testament, there is no male or female, Galatians 3.28. By this, Christians would argue that men and women have equality in the church. However, not coveting is one of the commands that Jesus reiterated in Luke 12, 15 and Mark 7, 20 through 23. In Luke 18, Jesus meets the rich young ruler and he lists the commandments. Coveting is conspicuously missing. The dangers of coveting becomes the point of the entire story. So if the prohibition against Old Testament coveting is still in operation under grace, are women still not property to be coveted? According to True Magazine, the first century Jewish man thanked God that he was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Teachings in the Talmud emphasized, however, that every individual possessed equal dignity and self-worth. But in practice, this equality was defined in terms of strict male-female roles. The home was, was regarded as the primary sphere of expression and activity for a woman, and the public arena was reserved for men.
The rabbis taught that these two spheres were equal. However, a woman had a low position in both society and in the family. Jesus' dealings with women is given as an example of how women are viewed as equal in the New Testament. His readiness to speak to and help the Samaritan woman in John 4 strongly contrasted with prevailing attitudes. In the New Testament, Jesus is often refer has often referred to women in his parables and included them among his disciples. In the early church, women helped to spread the gospel and prophesied. The Pauline epistles, however, are not so accepting of equality for women as the Gospels would seem to be. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, sub submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. 1 Corinthians 14.34, the women should keep silent in the churches and are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law says. 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is the Christ and the head of every wife is her husband. 1 Peter 3.1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. In its own category is 1 Corinthians 7.4, which reads, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. While on the surface, it would appear that this verse gives equal rights to both parties. However, when coupled with the already referenced verses saying the husband is the head and the wife is to submit, the net result is that the wife has no authority over her own body. Lest you think that this is merely theoretical, I have attended churches where this was taught. I have specifically asked about this and been told, even from other women in the church, that this was the case. These were not cult groups, but mainline churches within the Baptist and Presbyterian denominations. I heard and saw on numerous occasions that women were equal to men, but it, when it came to practice, they were not. Women do not enjoy a position of equality with men in the Christian faith, in the home, or in the church. They are denied positions of leadership and denied opportunity to use their talents and gifts to minister, especially when those talents and gifts run in areas where a woman would teach or have authority over a man. Men face no such restriction in exercising authority over women. Women in the Christian faith today are told that they hold a position that is separate from but equal to that of men, in a manner similar to the way that colored children were told in this country that they could receive an education that was separate from but equal to that of white children. We all know that before desegregation, the educational opportunities afforded colored children was inferior to that of white children. Similarly, women in the Christian faith are told that they are equal, but they are deprived of the opportunities afforded to men. Because the opportunities denied them are positions of honor and decision-making, the very denial of these opportunities demonstrates that women do not enjoy a position of equality. Women belong in all places where decisions are being made. It should not be that women are the exception. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I yield my time. Very well spoken. Um, there's a there's a lot to it. Sorry, I oh, was muted. No, it was my mistake. I muted myself and then I started talking. I, I usually I'm good at noticing, <laughs> reminding myself that, but um, I I failed big time on this one. That was about eleven minutes and one second. So we'll just put that those extra minutes into the conversation, um, and and we can just jump right into that. You guys both are incredibly succinct, and I'm I'm very excited to hear where this goes. So. 
by all means, I'll just start the clock and I'll let you know when we're about 50 minutes. Uh, and then th that'll kind of be like the 10 more minutes to start winding down the conversation. Um, and Praise and I will just be collecting the super chat. So thanks so much, guys. Can I go ahead, Granny, since you gave me a lot to respond to? Yes, absolutely. All right. So I want to respond right off to the very first thing you said about rejecting the, the definition of Jesus is objective truth. So let me clarify my definition there. That was if you call yourself a Christian, you should agree with my definition there. As, as you being an atheist, I wouldn't expect you to. Okay. But that's how I'm defining Christianity as people who agree with me that Jesus is objective truth. Um, okay. The, that was a, a beautiful tie-in to Brown versus uh, BOE. And I, I think I agree with, with most of what you're saying there about the separate but, but equal thing. Um, one question I have is, why is it that every time you talk about the role of a woman, you only talk about being a wife? Um, are you under the impression that women can't choose not to be a wife? Well, I also talked about women in role as pastorate and women in decision-making roles within the church. Mm. Um, if In the family, being a wife is the only role that she can have, obviously. Um, Isn't she an instructor and a teacher and a pastor to her children? Well, yes, yes. I, 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 what I meant is she's not a child and she's not the husband. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, but yes, you're right. She does have a number of roles besides just the wife. Um, however, when it comes to uh, biblical uh, instruction with regards to a woman's role, most of them are with regards to her role as wife. I would agree with that because when you're talking about the differences between men and women, it generally only matters in, in the family. Um, a democracy of two people doesn't work. Someone has to be in charge. And um, how, how would a democracy of two people work? If you disagreed, what would happen? You, you don't move? Well, you have to work out some kind of compromise. But what but if you're unable one person, to? One person does not should not always have the authority to overrule the other. What if you're unable to work out a compromise? I agree with you 100% that if you're not trying to work out compromises with your wife, you're in direct violation of the Lord's commandments and you're not loving her. If you're not listening to her, if you're not if you're not treating her as your as your partner and as your as your lieutenant but what if what if there's an issue where there can't be a compromise what if i wanted to homeschool my children and my wife wanted to send them to public school and we've talked about it for 4 years and we can't get a decision then do well, the kids I just not go to school absolutely you well no obviously not but i don't think you should have the authority to to force your wife to homeschool the kids if you want to stay home and homeschool the kids while she goes off to work, I think, okay, yeah, I, I could see you taking the, the, the lead I'm on a that. Teacher. But if you're gonna say, I would want to teach yeah. my kids. But if, if, if you're going to tell your wife that she has to stay home and homeschool the, the, the kids, bye-bye, I'm off to work, then no, I say absolutely you don't have the right to do that. I would agree with you that if I, if I sprung that on my wife after we were married and had kids, that'd be pretty messed up. <laughs> Um, uh, and, uh, especially if I wanted her to fulfill that responsibility because she would need to be confident and able and so, so many other things. I definitely agree with you there. And, and that's why the, the decision and the commitment 
for for husband and wife is so important. And you talked a lot about churches that I really don't like. Um, and I think we don't like them for very similar reasons, to be honest with you. You talk constantly how they'll get up from the pulpit and say men and women are equal, and then they'll do everything in opposition of that. And that's not the only thing they preach from the pulpit and then completely break. And then they teach, oh, just say, I'm sorry, and come back and give us 10% of your income and Jesus will love you and everything will be fine. It's such a warp and, and twisted form. And to, to reiterate this, I would like to go to James 2 real quick. I don't need to share my screen. I'll just read it. Uh, what good is it, my brother? Oh, go ahead. Um, you know, before you leave this topic, I would like to point out that in a democracy, there, there isn't necessarily one head that's that's in charge. You know, when we have our we have our Congress and everyone has an equal vote in Congress and the whole idea of a democracy is is one man, one vote. It's not one person is in authority overall. Oh, yes. My statement was a democracy of two people doesn't work. And if you look at our, our House of Representatives, we have 435 members, which is odd. And then if you look at our Senate, we have 100 plus one Mike Pence, which is odd. The, the idea is when you have two people, a democracy won't work. Um, I, I'm not I'm, I'm a Platonist, so I guess I am pretty democracy when it comes down to it. But um, yeah, my whole point was when you come to a standstill, if a man's running around telling his wife to do whatever he wants on his own whim without talking to her and, and holding this dialectic that you were talking about to come to a compromise, there's no love. And if there's no love, he's so utterly failing in everything he's doing. And this goes to my, my James quote. Uh, I'll skip the beginning and just read James 2.17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If if a man's not loving his wife in the ways that you really clearly mentioned, like um, I watched, I, I don't remember what the video was called, but I watched a few of your videos and you were specifically talking about the way that you had felt in your own marriage and then the way that you imagine a lot of other women feel. And it, it, it I, I'm, I'm really I apologize if I'm being insensitive, but it seems like there wasn't love towards you. It seems like, and the women that you were talking about in the general sense, it feels like these are women specifically who aren't being loved. And if a husband's not loving his wife, he's, he's not in the Christian faith. And I would agree with you that nearly every mainstream church is a corruption and nothing more than a scam to get that 10%. They don't care about the Bible. They, they read these nice choice, feel goody verses. They don't deep down study. I've been taught my whole life and I've been to 30 plus churches that this is the living, breathing word of God. And I have to take it literally. And I'm reading songs of Solomon. And I'm like, how do I take songs of Solomon literally? And For Noah's flood. <laughs> Noah's flood is is an interesting one there because especially coming out to Asia where they totally believe in it. So, I mean, the flood probably happened, but did every single animal on the entire planet get on one boat? I see how big the boat is. It's not big enough. But yeah, I, I understand exactly what you, what you're talking about. And well, then and, there are, and how did and how did all the civilizations that existed before Noah's flood manage to continue existing without extinction, even though they, they supposedly all went extinct during the flood, not to mention the bottleneck of every single species on the planet? Yeah, it's, 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 it's biologically, it can't happen. 
I think most assumptions, this isn't something I'm super well re- researched in, but most assumption is that Ham, Shem, and Zipporah know his three sons spread out and created the races. But that means it's got to be longer ago than, than the, the average Christian is saying. Um, but yeah, the, but that, that's exactly my point. When, when cr- young Christians especially are taught that this is the objective truth and not Jesus, they, they start to go down this, this weird way where they can't even justify their own faith because, like you said, in the Old Testament, there are some, there are some crazy things. And I want to get into a couple of those. Um, the Genesis 3.16, I, I guess Eve didn't really have a fair lot in it because she didn't get to choose her husband or if she wanted to be married. So I, I got to concede that one. She had no choice in the matter of marriage, despite generally, I think every every woman does. And there's no call in Christianity. That I made. Uh, your point the, was that man has dominion over his wife. Right, right. That that was the curse. That even though man was created male and female originally, that that the curse was that woman was to be dominated by her husband. Yes. Wives, to clarify. Not women aren't mandated to have husbands. If a woman's unmarried, she's in an equal status of an unmarried man. And a married woman is in equal status to a married man who is not her husband. Not so, under the Old Testament. Under the Old Testament, uh, the under woman Judaic was, law, no. But no, Judaic yeah, law she was. Disgusting. She was her husband. I mean, her father's. You know, a woman belonged to her father until she was married, and then she belonged to her husband. At no point did she ever belong to herself. Um, yeah, I think that's accurate in Judaic law. I, I think that definitely is. And, but I'm not a Judaic Christian. That's a Ben Shapiro lie. Like that's, that's not a real thing. Uh, I follow Christ as the objective truth, not this, this Hebrew conglomeration like Abraham as their patriarch. They actually say he was blameless. The guy who told Pharaoh that his wife was his sister. So the Pharaoh could take her and sleep with her without killing Abraham. Like how many commandments did he just break there? And you you also yep. brought up Lot. And first of all, Lot's an evil dude. So I don't take anything he has oh, yeah. as um as like instruction. But I do want to clarify the reason why Lot protected his guests wasn't because they were male. It was the guest right, is what's mentioned in the Bible. And um it was I've the heard fact that, as that well. But yeah, it's it still gives favoritism to to the male guest over the female relative. I mean, how does that show love to your wife and you know perfect sacrifice to your wife if you're going to go sacrifice your wife to your guest? Lot was so far out of truth that he was trying to avoid a curse that he believed in. That if he had his guests come to harm, he had no intention of being a righteous man ever in scripture. Um, I, I just I've never actually read that from the point of view that he devalued women, though. When you look at everything else, Sodom and Gomorrah, which is where Lot was living at the time, was doing. They absolutely did not uh, value women. They were slaves and cattle, basically. And um, I, one one thing I, I want to go into really importantly is is I, I guess you admitted this and then you talked about how the church doesn't show it. The the wife is the property of the husband and the husband is the property of the wife. And I would agree with you that that's not in practice among many things. And when our church preaches that you just say you're sorry every time you do something wrong, where's the incentive to live like Christ? I I don't quite follow you. What are you saying that they should do instead? That they should do some kind of penance? 
I haven't really thought about that because I'm not a pastor. I think about my own life. Um, I think that if you see someone who's continuously, yeah, this is in the scripture, if you uh, Matthew 11, 18, I think, if you see someone who is continuously breaking God's commandments and is not living in the law, you need to expel them from the church. You need to call them for what they are, not a Christian. If you see a man who's continuously How loving his wife. Go ahead. Uh, you see a man who's continuously loving his wife and that's wrong. I said, not love, or I meant to say not loving oh, his wife. And okay. I was going to say he should be excommunicated <laughs> from his church. Okay, um, if gotcha, I said loving, gotcha. that was a misspeak. I apologize. Mm -hmm. What were you going to say? I, I was just going to say that, you know, how often do you even find out about it? How, how many women even speak up? Um, from my personal life, I can tell when my friends treat their wives or girlfriends like crap. Uh, from my own, I, like I said, I'm not a pastor and I've never had that, that role of authority put on me. And I, I really hope that I don't. Um, but uh, I think that if, if the congregation can't tell, they're not a congregation. They're not a family. Yeah, but I don't think it has to go to the point of treating them like crap. You know, it, mm. we, I, I don't think we need to look at it in, in terms of extremes. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of ground where women aren't treated equally, but they're not treated like crap either. You know, it's just, you know, it, it, you, you're lesser, you're inferior, but you're, you're not nothing. I agree with that. And you're right when you talk about the subtleties, then it's definitely harder to recognize. Um, and that was my, my point, again, is really strong about being a family, right? If the congregation is the family, then that should be able to be told. If the woman's got this pain from being even slightly mistreated, that should be known because the man's not operating in love. And I love the the First Corinthians 13 that breaks all this down. Like everything you were talking about, about coming compromise, to uh, insist on his own way with his wife. So these two subjective truths together mean that the objective truth is the husband is only allowed to be insistent of Jesus's way, not his own way. Just the fact that you say that he is allowed to be insistent. Sure. Democracies right don't work with two people. Yeah. And, and yeah, that, that right there shows that they are not equal. No, it shows they're not identical. Equal is objective value. That's outside of this world and it's outside of this life. When the woman dies, she's no longer bound to her husband and she no longer has to listen to the husband. And when her soul is brought into the new Jerusalem, this is <laughs> where the objective dead. value is. When you're dead, you're dead. <laughs> well, you're to, we're, our argument is based on the assumption of the Christian faith, right? So our objective value isn't tied to this world. My, my value isn't about how much I can lift or how much money I can make. It's about the fact that I'm a child of God. So we need, I know that you don't believe in this, but if you're going to look at it from the lens of Christianity, then you need to understand that, that the quality is objective. And what we see in here in this temporary role that the woman fills as a, um, uh, as a wife in which she has to submit to her husband is no different than what happens in, let me check my notes here, in Luke 2.41. And um, this is the, the scene, do you remember when Jesus is 12 years old and he gets, uh, he, his parents go to Jerusalem to see the temple and he stays there when they go back home to Nazareth? Mm 
Mm-hmm. And Mary and Joseph freak out and they're running back and they're like, where were you? And he's like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And they're like, what are you talking about? And um, the next scripture says Jesus went back and submitted to his mother's authority and to his father's authority. Like there was a time where even Jesus had to submit to Mary that didn't make him less objectively valuable. He still was the the Messiah, but he still had a time in his physical life where he was required to submit to a female's authority, no less. It says that right in the Bible in James 2, or sorry, Luke. And so if, if you're saying like that means that now women are less equal than me, but Jesus is less equal than women, like my whole theology is going to go is going to go out the window with that one. I, I, I OK, I, I didn't follow you at the very end, but part of it is I've been waiting to 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 bring up that there's no question right. that children are of lesser value in our society. In you know, our society, not in a Christian society. Well, Christian, children are more and more valuable too. in Christian society. No, opposite. no, they're. I mean, they have no decision-making authority, uh, power. They have, they, they have, no, they, they have equality. Well, they have equality in the sense that they are equal people. You know, it, supposedly in the eyes of the Lord. You know, supposedly they are valued as people. But there's no question that their position in the church in the, and in the family is a position that is lesser. It is, you know, like I said, it's a, it has lesser authority. They have to submit to the authority. They have no decision-making power. They, they have no rights to choose where they're going to live, where they're going to go to school. They, they are def, their, their ideas and their opinions are valued less than that of the adults in the community. But let's 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 finish the, the thing on children first. Okay, now you say that Jesus values children and considers children, you know, of of, of greater value even than, than other adults. Um I would say that's what wh- the scripture suggests. I honestly believe okay. all humans have the same objective value. I would okay. say that's the suggestion in scripture. Okay. Did Jesus exist before his birth? Yes. Okay. Uh, is Jesus God? Yes. Okay. So anything that the Old Testament God did, Jesus did. I can say I can agree to that without getting into the complexities of the Trinity. I think I know where you're going. So, yeah, I'll agree to that for the sake of the debate. Okay. So when God killed all of the firstborn children in Egypt, Mm -hmm. even though these children had done nothing, did that show that God valued children? It showed that God valued humanity. Killing the firstborn children shows how much he values humanity? Absolutely. He needed the Israelites to be ripped away from the Egyptians so that he could carry on a group of people with his law so that he could bring the Messiah, so that he could bring about the new Jerusalem. Remember, in the Christian faith, we don't look at things subjectively. It's not about what's happening here on this world right now. It's about the new Jerusalem, and it's about us conquering and vanquishing the enemy to bring about the new Jerusalem through Christ. So if Israel was squashed out and Jesus' promises, or, or Jesus, God, we're calling them the same thing for the sake of this debate. Uh, his promise to Abraham wouldn't have been possible. And his promise was to bring the Messiah through Abraham. 
So Pharaoh could have let things go and they would have gone and the firstborn wouldn't have died. But the Old Testament God is a God about preserving the line to bring the Messiah. Okay, two things I would say to that. First, I sure am glad that I'm not valued by God because he'd just kill me for, you know, <laughs> that's how he values people, by killing them. Um, second, um, Pharaoh was ready to let them go until God hardened his heart. Um, and so the, the whole murdering of the kids wasn't even necessary. I he think just that wanted to show them how great and powerful he was. Oracle, I think. Um, I don't. I'm not a, an Exodus scholar. I'm not really an Old Testament scholar. I've spent much more on the New Testament, and uh, I've only really been studying the Bible in earnest for about two years. So it's not like I don't care about the Old Testament. It's just I'm getting there. Um, so I, I take that one to, to be metaphorical. God hardened his heart as in it was the cause of events. Um, I've never really looked at it from a theological point that God hardened his heart on purpose just to demonstrate his works. Um, I think God's works were demonstrated enough to the Israelites, but he does say there are stiff-necked people who keep forgetting. So maybe, maybe that is accurate. I don't have much of a response to there because I haven't really thought about it. Um, whether God literally hardened his heart or not. That's interesting. I'll probably send you an email on that one after I do some reading around the scripture. <laughs> Okay. The, yeah, the other area I wanted to look at was was 1 Timothy 2.15, which states, but women will be saved by having, will be saved through childbirth if they stay faithful, loving, holy, and modest. But a woman will be saved through having children if she perseveres in the faith and love and holiness with modesty. Um, now, I heard one of the most awful sermons of my life on this verse, which, oh, no. I, I, you know, and I realize you don't hold to this and I don't expect you to try to defend it, which was that women are saved from worthlessness. And yeah. And oh, my. The, I think I would have walked I, out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've heard pastors try to bend over backwards, trying to find some kind of meaning to this verse, because obviously it's not supposed to mean salvation, because no, supposedly doesn't. by, you know, faith in Christ. But there it is in the Bible. Women are saved through childbirth. Well, I'm actually really glad that you brought this up because this isn't a scripture I knew. So I, I pulled it up. Can I share my screen for a moment? Sure. Cool. Uh, so I pulled it up in the app that I use to read the Bible, which is called Blue Letter Bible. And the reason I use that one is because it's interlinear. <clears throat> Excuse me. It has the Greek and the English right there. And what really baffled me about this is it doesn't say, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. It just says, notwithstanding, saved in childbearing. Like, this is totally made up by, I guess, Francis Bacon, who did the King James Version. Um, if you look at the Greek word, every other time it appears, it has nothing to do with women, and it just means save. My assumption of this, now this literally is the first time I've read the scripture, but my assumption reading it in, uh, in context, because for those watching, Granny gave me like a five-minute heads up that she was about to go to this verse. It seems to me that mankind was saved from Eve's childbearing, because Adam and Eve did not have enough to be saved. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I was trying I always to go have back. Issues when I try to share a screen too, which is part of the reason why I didn't bother with trying to trying to put a PowerPoint or anything together. So as I'm reading this right now, really for the first time, looking at it, um, I read it as for Adam was first uh, formed first, then Eve. Adam was not yet deceived, but the woman began being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, they were saved by childbirth. And I guess the she just comes from because only Eve gave the children. But to me, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, to me, this is talking about all men. It's not saying I, I think. To say that women are saved from worthlessness is um, so absurd, especially because Paul in, in Corinthians says, nobody get married, men and women, nobody get married, be like me, be single, serve God with everything you have. And um, and it's just, it, it would be such an absurdity to me to think that women are not valuable if they don't have, if they don't have children. Now I'm going to stop sharing. Before we get into that, um, I, I don't read the scripture like that. And if I go into the Greek, it doesn't look like it says anything like that. That that pastor, I think he really hates women. I would agree. I would agree. It's just, I don't, I, I think that the biggest problem with the, the church today is so few of them read the Bible. It sounds like he got that verse just in a fight with his wife. And then he's like, I'm going to make a sermon on it. All right, where should we go next? I really don't have anything else. Uh, you know, if, if you don't either, I'm ready to take questions from the chat. Um, I, I do want to address Deuteronomy 22, 28 through 9. Um, okay. That's the uh, man rapes a woman. He's obligated to pay 50 shekels and, um, mm -hmm. and marry her. Mm -hmm. The The... The thought behind this very, very subjective truth, like I would prefer to just kill the man and be done with it. But the thought behind this is to, I know it might sound weird, but to not ruin the woman's life. I don't quite understand the Talmudic law, how they can bury in an eye for an eye and then not punish rape. Like I really think that that's something severely wrong with Talmudic law and something very wrong with the Torah. But I, I, I kind of think the Talmud is evil. So if, if there are okay. Jews in the audience, I do apologize. But the, the point here was, and um, I've, I've heard some Muslims make an interesting uh, comment when they talk about Aisha. And they talk about the difference between having uh, sex with a girl at 12 years old and then marrying her and her being your wife for the rest of your life in a culture where if we look at cultures back then, you look at living in the desert. Uh, women didn't exactly have much options. And that's that's the reality of it. We're in 2020 where I can't think of many jobs that men can do much better now with how much technology we have. Like even, even a construction worker, women can be nearly as useful in every regard and more useful in some because their hands are smaller. They can talk about computer repair. Women are better at it. Um, and so I think the idea behind this was to try to not ruin the young girl's life. And I realized the man that, that was the idea. Okay, but um, I, 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 if 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 you were an all-knowing God, an omniscient God, I think you could do better than this. I don't think an omnipotent God wrote, or an omniscient God wrote the the Talmud. The, the Talmud? Or, yeah, no. good point. 
good point. I, I would definitely agree with you there. And I think that if we if we analyze line by line the 613 commandments, we're not going to find that is the only one that's like, wait, that what? If Uh, let me look over my notes to see if there's anything else. And then to reiterate in the Corinthians, when it says that women shouldn't speak, that's as the Corinthian law says, not biblical law. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's that's all my points. That's everything. Are we? Um, should we do closing statements? Are we live? I, I, that's what I'm wondering because I just looked, you know, I was buffering for a moment and I checked over and I see us all halted again. Yeah, we, it looks like we are good. It looks like we're still Okay, good. then it's just my connection. Yeah, yeah. I think closing okay. statements would be great. Um, I think because of the rockiness of the stream, we, we don't have all that many questions so far. So I think closing statements might give you an opportunity to, to kind of pull some more in. Um, you guys want to take like five minutes each and give a closing statement? Well, how would you feel about that? Sure, that sounds good. Okay, sweet. Granny, would you prefer to go first or last? Actually, I'd rather go last. Okay, then I'll, I'll begin. Um, so in my, in my conclusion, in my summary, women and men are not identical in reality or in the Christian faith. And the Christian faith is dead without works. And if a man doesn't show love to his brothers and sisters and especially emphasize tenfold to his wife, his faith is dead. And the how we determine value in Christianity doesn't have to do with your worldly abilities or your worldly position. It has to do with who you are and what you are in the new Jerusalem and our coming salvation. And to, to separate those is is not fair when you're looking at things through a christian worldview and finally i'd like to reiterate that i'm no champion of the church and i think the majority of organized religion is probably the the biggest evil that's been committed on this world it should be a personal search for jesus and you should gather together with your family jesus even says call no man father so what does the catholic church do call me father please and on that i yield my time all right okay. I, I think you've made some very good points, Joshua. And uh, you know, um, I do think that um, women should be considered of equal value in the Christian faith. And I think there are definitely some part, parts of the Bible that say that. And there are certainly some portions that, of scripture that would point to that. Um, however, in practice uh, within the church, and I realize you are really not a supporter of, of, of the, the organized church, um, that women are not considered equal and um, because they're denied the positions of authority and leadership, uh, they are given an inferior status. And um, But it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I would totally agree. And it shouldn't be that way. All right. Okay, guys. I think we've got, um, let me see really. Yes, I think I've got all of the super chats so far. Um, I, I think we can just jump into them. And I think we, given, you know, that we've got a decent amount of time, if you guys want to have like con little conversations about them, I think that that would be entirely appropriate. Um, cool. And I'm sure we'll get, usually the nature of the chat is that the more, more questions kind of come in as the Q&A continues to go. So we can just add them to the list when we get them, if that's all right. All right. So, dog. 
no, they're my dogs. I'm so sorry. They're out <laughs> of bed right here and they're like, <laughs> on the bed. And I was going to say the first super chat and then mute myself and then move them because they're being terrible. Um, <laughs> but I think I'll actually go ahead first um, and, and move them very shortly. Hold on just a second. I'm so sorry. I you like know, oh, do you? I'm glad. I yeah. <laughs> the the skulls are kind of my aesthetic. That's kind of what I've been uh what I've been going for. I um I also kind of just really like skulls. I think they're cool. Um, of all different kinds, just because I I don't know. I like to look at them. You can tell a lot about an animal or an organism in general just by the skull. Okay, so first up from Sunflower for ten dollars. I believe this is directed at UGG. Um, referring to trans people by their biological sex is harassment slash violence, despite being accurate. Why not act as though God exists in the presence of theists for the same reason that we use preferred pronouns? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you, Sunflower, and I, I usually do, but it is sometimes difficult to differentiate between the argument that I'm trying to make um, when agree, but, but not but not giving the impression that I've agreed with a theistic position. I I think that's an interesting one as a theist. I, I really wouldn't want anyone to disingenuinely pretend that there's a God to talk to me. If we're having a theological debate, there might be some points that I need you to assume a theistic worldview to make a logical point, but it certainly isn't harassment to tell me that there's no God or even to tell me that Jesus isn't God. Way, way different than I think uh, referring to a trans person as their biological sex when they specifically mention that it's offensive to them. I, I don't I don't quite understand. OK. All right. For five dollars from Tioga, could Christianity improve on equality between the genders and should it? Do we need religion to be equal? So I think that's directed towards Josh and just kind of have a have a rapport, if you will. <laughs> If you mean Christianity as in the church, um, yes, it needs to be fixed, but there's a, a lot of other things. Like, let's just start with our whole base theology. Let's talk about calling a 66 leather bound books literally Jesus, because like we see in, in John, the word of God means Jesus. And now we're saying that this book is literally Jesus. I would like to start there. But when we come when it comes to the church, there's so many things in Christianity. I, I still maintain that there needs to be a leader in a family because democracies don't work with two people. Um, but I also very much agree with Granny's point that it can't just be the man yelling things about what he wants to do. There needs to be consensus, compromise. And then when you read something that through love and through conversation and through earnest discussion, you can't find a compromise with, then it should be to the man to decide what's the way of the Lord. What about having a moderator? You know, like going to a, a marriage counselor. I, I think that's wonderful, especially if you have a moderator in the Christian faith, because the man can be wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. I think going to your friends and your family. Now, I I would really counsel Christians against joining a church just to find a pastor to get manage, uh, marriage counseling because I don't really have a high opinion of churches. But if you had a father-like figure in your life that both you and your wife respected and respected their opinion, going to them for external help is the whole point of what the church was supposed to be, not what it is now as an indoctrination station. 
All right. Okay. So from Sunflower for $5 directed at uh, Godless Granny, do you think your personal negative experience with Christianity gives you a strong negative bias towards any or all notions of a theistic perspective? That's a good question. Um, one of the things that makes that question difficult is I was a believer far longer than I've been an atheist. Hmm. Um, and I, in some ways, I don't think I'm all that negative when I compare myself to some other a atheists. Um, but I, I, I would have to say no, because my primary problems with the Christian theology is not from experience, but is from reality. Um, my real problem with, with Christianity is that Noah's flood couldn't happen. The world is more than 6,000 years old. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the failed promises in Ezekiel, um, the, the whole idea of the Tower of Babel, and there could only have been like 100 people on the face of the planet if we're going to believe the whole Noah story. Um, you know, the, the, the whole Exodus story and the idea that, you know, it took them 40 years to walk, what is it, 30 miles from Goshen to, um, to um, Jordan, you know, all of those things. Um, when, when you start looking at it much more critically, and, and then when you're starting into the New Testament, you realize, you know, the, the problems with um, Jesus' birth, uh, that, you know, there's that 10-year gap that... Um, uh, supposedly Jesus died while um, Quirinius was governor, but at the same time while Herod was king, but Herod died in um, four, no, 6 BC and Quirinius didn't become governor until 4 AD, or I may have those backwards. Um, but, you know, there's that 10 year gap and so, you know, Jesus doesn't fit that timeline. Um, and he has, you know, the, the, and the biggest thing is just the whole lack of love. Um, that's that's really what destroyed it for me was that the whole idea that you know there is a God that creates people and either intends for the intends for them to go to hell, or if he doesn't, if he if he actually does intend for them to be saved, he doesn't give them enough information so that they can be saved. Um, you know, Jesus made a personal appearance to the Apostle Paul, supposedly, and yet he doesn't choose to do that for everyone so that he can save everyone. And if he can do that for one without, you know, violating his free will, why can't he do that for everyone? And if he really wants everyone to save, why doesn't he? That, that was another big thing for me. Can I add on to the question for a bit? Sure. Um, do you think that there's any chance you might come back to a theistic belief, even if it's not Christian theology? I seriously doubt it. I seriously doubt it. But it's it's possible. Hmm. Okay. Thanks. All right. Let me grab our next one here. Okay. So... <laughs> From General Balzac for $5 to Joshua, off topic, but interested in how Vietnam reacts to your faith and whether it can be expressed openly or is suppressed. 
they have a really weird view of Christianity thanks to the French and the Catholics. So when I tell them I'm a Christian and I'm not Catholic, their brains just kind of break and they're like, oh, you're like Luther. And I'm like, no, not really either. So I've actually kind of changed the way that I talk about it. Um, instead of saying Dao Lenten, which is the, the path of the Protestants or Dao, uh, I don't remember Catholic. Um, I say Dao Yesu, which means I, I follow the path of Jesus. And after that, they all kind of just go, oh, okay. And they, they, they accept it quite open. The government here is rather secular, but the majority of people are Buddhist. And Buddhists are the sweetest people in general. I, I've enjoyed every encounter that I've ever had with a Buddhist individual as well. <laughs> I, I think being in the West, the, the, those encounters are probably more limited. I'm sure, I, I'm sure they're out there somewhere. There has been a mean Buddhist, <laughs> but I've never there, met there are non-practicing Buddhists, just like there are non-practicing Christians. But sure. um, the the monkhood of Buddhism is far more vigorous about rooting out those who don't follow Buddhist teachings than the church is about rooting out those who don't follow Jesus's teachings. Mm, absolutely. From Samuel Lil Jahom, which, God, I, I know I said that wrong, um, to Josh, Exodus 22.16 seems to be a restay of the verse on rape slash marriage. If you look at the original, tapas, the word translated as rape, means take, not rape. That's pretty interesting. Like I said, I, I wanted to do my own linguistic research on that and get back to granny, but if, if take doesn't mean take in the biblical sense which is kind of why we say in the biblical sense right what what else would it mean I, I don't take her to be your wife and then if you take her to be your wife you have to pay 50 shekels and then marry her but you already took her to be your wife uh, so i'm definitely gonna do more research on that but take could mean rape right i that listen don't look at me i'm not a linguist <laughs> <laughs> it looks like they've maybe clarified a bit uh, afterwards saying exodus verse quote if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her he shall he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife unquote I okay guess now in, entice is way different than rape i mean that means seduce to me right if a man lures a virgin into immoral consensual sex he must pay her father and marry her is what that sounds like to me but I'm, I'm not i'm not totally sure i will do my research on that one i'd, I'd be interested to see what you, what you find um from tioga again for five dollars uh and this is kind of it looks like it's kind of directed to both of you uh, so feel free um to converse or chat about it or whatever can men teach women skills that are traditionally assigned to men from the bible if not what would stop women from learning those skills I mean, a man can't teach a woman to be as strong as him unless she's on Actually, you know, genetic bar barrier. And well, I mean, a man can be a physical trainer. Oh, and, and but as, as strong as. So, like, I was thinking, could a man teach a, a woman to carry as much water from the well as him? I don't know what other skills a man couldn't teach a woman. I think I don't think there are biological limitations on our intellect. Yeah. I mean, we see men more at the extreme end of the spectrum of stupidity and genius, and women still seem to or seem to be closer in that spectrum. But still, the outliers don't, from my understanding. Like, why? What's I, what skill? I can't think of one. Okay, Except carrying water. <laughs> that that is the uh, that is the great divider among us. <laughs> 
carrying water from the well. That's it. <laughs> hey, I that's an important skill if you live in the desert and you have hundreds and hundreds of sheep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I forgot to read Caleb's super chat. I'm so sorry. And yet Caleb that is usually the woman's role, not the man's. All shots fired here. I would say women or men tended to be shepherds more. One of the reasons I love Moses' wife so much is she was a shepherdess. But fetching the water was the woman's role. Ah. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. You see that a lot. I, I uh, even even Isaac or yeah, even when Isaac goes the back woman to at the look well for his wife, and it, Rachel at and, the well. And yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I was going to. I guess you're right. The men were too lazy to do what they're even better at. So Caleb sent a super chat as well that I I skipped over for the moment. I, I had it in my Word document, but then I didn't have it in my StreamYards little dealy. Uh, Caleb for $2 says, I want praise to get this $2. So there you go, praise. <laughs> <laughs> praise is earning big bucks tonight. That's, <laughs> That's <laughs> two beers in Vietnam, praise. <laughs> I was going to say one cup of coffee here. <laughs> Big money moves. Four cups of coffee here. <laughs> all right. That's that's all I've got in regard to, with regard rather, to Super Chat. So it, unless we get some in like the next second or so, if you guys want to. Um, kind I, of, I thought I saw one about the Talmud in the chat. Praise, did I miss one? Am I messing up again? I saw yeah, it I, too. There was a question. It was. Spart 344. No, Debate you for both. I may have missed it, but what makes either of you qualified to talk smack about the Talmud? I know it's awful, but how do you two know? Since I, I read the question, you should go first, Granny. I need to retire from this job. You can take it, Josh. Take you, you so me. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a debate moderator times. for children all the time. <laughs> I, I don't claim any particular qualifications other than I've read it several times. I've looked at commentaries. I've looked at what other authors say about it, but that's all just personal study. I've done some of my own personal study and I probably refer you to professor Tony Martin, who does some great research about the history of racism and its or, uh, originations in the Talmud. If you talk, or if you remember that line that we learned in history class in America about how we all thought that Africans were subhuman because of their bigger noses and their different shaped skulls, the, the earliest I can trace that to is the, the, Bible, uh, the Babylonian Talmud that was published in 258. AD. So that right there, you start calling any human subhuman and you have strayed so far from Christianity in my mind that it's it's barely. No, it's not forgivable. It's not forgivable. If you're calling any human subhuman, it's not forgivable. All right. I think that's a notion that we can all get behind. <laughs> I think that's a notion we can get behind and that's a great place to start. Unless I missed any more questions, which, you know, that would be classic. Um, other than that, I I have really enjoyed this. This has been very enjoyable. Uh, you know, barring the the mishaps with the stream, you know, but we rallied. We got back together. We and did. We did. We got most of the audience back, which is just lovely. Um, so thank you so much for for being here to both of you. Um, I, I I would love to see any more debates that the two of you have. Please remember that if you guys like what you heard tonight, check out these two's links in the description um, because you can hear more this kind of stuff which is just superb um and and with that i'm i'm good to sign off if y'all are sure i okay. just want to say 
thank you again for praising Erica, doing a great job moderating despite the tech difficulties that we have with YouTube. And Granny, it was it was a wonderful discussion that I really enjoyed. And I, I hope that we we find ourselves having another conversation about this or even even other topics, because it was it was truly a delight to speak to you. And I would echo those uh, those thoughts exactly. Thank you so much, Erica, and thank you for pra to praise to for hosting and for running this. And Joshua, yes, it is it is a pleasure to debate uh, a gentleman such as yourself. Thank you. Super. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.